0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's time for What Do You Call It Podcast! It's Wednesday, you know what that means. Welcome to another episode of What Do You Call It? podcast i'm your host gb and no i've not joined the amish i just botched my shaving so i'll be going to the barbers tomorrow when he's open features barber south end cheap plug anyway enough about me today's guest is a true inspiration uh, who didn't let his disability stop him from achieving his dreams he's a podcaster and a pro wrestler Please give it up for the handicapped hero, Gregory Iron. Hey, doing? How are you doing today, sir?
1: <laughs> I'm okay. Thank
0: you for that great introduction, man. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm happy to be here. No problem at all, man. It's uh, an honor to have you on here. Uh, I just want to know before we kickstart this episode, um, I've got something very important to ask, and I hope you're okay. And you don't mind me asking. What is Virgil like backstage? (laughs) I have to know. Oh, boy. Virgil is, uh, you know, of all the people I've shared
1: a locker room with, he's definitely one of them. I will say that. And uh, he, uh, so, all right. So I guess I could just talk to you about the whole GCW thing. Like, you know, I found out out that day that he was going to be my manager, which was not the original plan. And I was fine with it because I had worked with Virgil, in a managing capacity slash promo capacity, maybe 10 years prior. And it was on a show in Cleveland and he just randomly showed up and he had, he had a, oh, did, that, that should be shocking. Right. And, uh, he had a bad, um, he left a bad taste in the mouth of the promoter that was running the show from 10 years before that, uh, which I'm sure that was for whatever reason because the yeah. original and, uh, the promoter was about to throw him out. But at the time, the, the, um, the promotion was running TV. So the guy that was booking the show said, Hey, why don't we just tell Virgil we won't throw him out if he does something with Greg? And at the time, my tag team partner, Hobo Joe. And Hobo Joe did a series of promos during that taping where he alluded to this to Virgil giving him inspiration and in being one of his best friends in the world and how, how he met him back in a soup kitchen uh, a few years earlier, you know, when he was down on his luck, him and Virgil. And I, and I, was sort of trying to earn Hobo Joe's trust in the storyline because Hobo Joe had had partners that betrayed him in the past, but. Yeah as I'm trying to earn his trust in these promos, he's telling me these Virgil stories. I'm just like, dude, you can't be making up stories about being friends with Virgil. Like that's a weird thing. Like we're supposed to be trusting each other here. And then it culminates with, of course, me telling Hobo Joe, like, look, I'm done with this Virgil stuff. You keep mentioning it to him. I know this isn't a real thing. And then Virgil walks in the promo and just, you know, impromptu smacks me on the ass and uh, starts cutting this promo. And I, in the promo, because I know more WWF nonsense than I probably hmm. should uh, I always remember the Virgil storyline leading up to Wrestlemania 7 with Ted DiBiase and in his promo with Roddy Piper leading up to Wrestlemania 7 Piper asked Virgil at, Vir- at Wrestlemania Virgil how do you spell man and then Virgil looks in the camera and goes DiBiase at Wrestlemania you spell man V-I-R G-I-L and so in the so in the promo that I'm cutting with Virgil, I said, you know, Virgil, uh, I'm so glad that you're here. And, you know, you're going to be a real inspiration for us. In fact, you make me feel like a man. And if I know that one thing rings true in my life, you spell man, V-I-R-G-I-L. And I said it to his face, you know, because I'm thinking, like, you know, maybe he'll get the reference mm. from his most important storyline ever. And he just looks at me blankly and he goes... Sounds good, you know. I, didn't tell, <laughs> I, I I didn't tell him I was going to say that, and uh, so now fast forward to GCW, and he's my manager. And I walk up to him, and you know he's going to be a member of four four zero for the night. So I don't want to really have a in depth interaction with him. I just decide I'm not even going to say hi. I'm just going to walk up to him and say, Virgil, what size shirt do you need? And so that's what I do. And he goes, First of all, I ain't fucking bumping. I ain't fucking doing shit. I need a large. And I'm like okay. All right. Didn't ask you to bump or anything, but okay. And then I, uh, I give him the shirt and then he walks up to me and, uh, my gimmick table and I'm like, oh God, okay, here we go. And so he's just looking at random pictures and he looks at a one picture of Ricky Shane Page and he goes, who's this brother right here? And I go, that's the leader of this group, Ricky Shane Page. And then he looks at another picture, different picture. He goes, oh, he's just making a different face. Strikes me as a guy that probably didn't get his COVID shot or that wouldn't want to get his COVID shot. And so I have to be around him. So I'm just trying to entertain myself and there's no one else around. So I say, Virgil, did you get your vaccination? And he goes, yeah, got my vaccination on April 1st, second dose. And I go, oh, cool, man. How did it feel? Because you know, I got mine and it was like, left my body a little sore. I was, I I felt drained. How did Mm. you feel? He goes, I felt great, but you know what? When the doctor stuck that needle in my arm, the fucking needle broke off in my arm. And I and I try not to laugh in his face, mm. but I had no choice but to laugh in his face when he said that. I was like, oh, no, Virgil, why? how did the needle break off in your arms? I was like, I don't know, but I'm lucky they they pushed all the stuff into me before the needle broke, and then the doctor had to pull that out of there. And I was like, oh, man, that's crazy, man. I can't believe that
0: happened. So to answer your question, Virgil is a nutcase. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And that is the Virgil. It's the first Virgil story I've had in this podcast, and I just had to ask someone who's who's literally been there and seen him be Virgil. So thank Uh, you. (laughs) It's it's ridiculous. And, like, also, again, I'm a wealth of
1: wrestling knowledge, so he just kept saying stuff to me that I knew was not true. Like, Mm. he was telling people that he has been at 17 WrestleManias. That is not correct. Even if he technically started the company as a jobber in 87 and was not signed, mm. uh, he left in, by the end of 94. So, like, he was not in 17 WrestleManias. Mathematically, that doesn't make any sense. And then he tried to tell me, because I t- reminded him I'm from Cleveland, that he once wrestled uh, Rick Martel and did a backflip off the top rope in Cleveland Stadium in front of 70,000 people. That never happened. There was no show in Cleveland Stadium. You liar. Why are you lying to me? It's I don't so get what he chooses
0: from it. Like I just I hear him in some of these interviews and obviously he's he sort of had a bit of a rebirth, hasn't he? Really? Like um the whole fuck money and meat sauce. And I don't know who's running the Instagram account. It's it's quite it's really funny. I think it's the same people might do Iron Sheep anyway, but yeah. I'm just so fascinated by him. It's just you really do believe this, don't you? That's yeah. that's what makes it even better.
1: Yeah. Well, I, again like and, and so it's kind of the same thing with Hogan. Like mm. Hogan always tells these tales that could easily be Googled and, mm. and I and like Metallica and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and so like, I do a thing on the podcast. Even though I I love Hulk Hogan because he was mm-hmm. like my childhood hero, I do a thing weekly on my podcast, Iron On Wrestling, where. Uh, well, I was doing it every week for a while, but uh, believe it or not, I started to run out of lies. I still have them then I sprinkle in sporadically, but we do the Hulk Hogan lie of the week mm. where I find an audio clip or a passage from his book and I read it. And then I quickly uh, say the actual thing that happened or play an alternate audio clip of, of what the real story is. And it's just one of those things where I think these dudes, because they came up in wrestling in a different era in mm. the 80s and 90s where the internet wasn't prevalent, they were able to just make up stories. And no one can confirm whether they were true or not. But now we live in an age where, you know, Virgil walks up to me and says he's in 17 WrestleManias. Instead of me just taking him at face value, if I didn't know already off the top of my head, I can go, oh, wait, let me confirm that on my phone, Google. And then I find out in five seconds, Virgil, you're a liar, you know? So I think that's where that comes from.
0: But he's undefeated, though. He's got that streak. You can always brag about that. But that's one thing he doesn't brag about. (laughs) Right. Does he even know he's undefeated? Who knows? he doesn't, he doesn't. But um enough about Virgil. I did really enjoy that by the way. I'm actually quite smiling from that. But um uh right, before we do discuss your wrestling career, I want to take it back to the beginning. Uh following up what I actually said in the introduction, uh basically being a you know true inspiration. Um, it's you know, not saying that any of that is fake. It is absolutely true, which is what you have the following you do and why I want you on the show. So growing up with uh, a disability, uh, cerebral palsy on the right side affecting your body, uh, how did you find your childhood to be?
1: Well, you know, uh, when it started out, I felt like my childhood was pretty normal before Mm. entering school. You know, I didn't really view myself as that much different than anybody else. Like I had, uh, a, a brother that was a year younger than me. And so obviously he has two functioning arms. I don't, I realized that, uh, 99% 99% of the people I'm meeting have two functioning arms so I I realize that is abnormal but I never view myself as abnormal just my parents basically told me that I had a stroke when I was born no one ever said cerebral palsy and furthermore I was a kid no one really ex- explained what a stroke meant mm. all I was really told was oh your hand just doesn't work properly and then so like when I would meet people they would say what's wrong with your hand and I would say oh I just had a stroke when I was born But my grandma was super religious, and she would always tell me, you know, uh, she also was the one that got me to wrestling, by the way. So like, she she uh she was really a saving grace. But she would always tell me, you know, when I would feel weird about my hand, she would just go, we know you just pray to God every night and uh, ask him for your hand to get better, and you know he'll heal your hand. So I would do that every night before I went to bed Mm -hmm. as a kid, thinking like that would be that would probably help, right? And uh, it wasn't until I entered school that the bullying started. And kids would call me things like a retard and a gimp and a cripple. And it uh, it really weighed on me. You know, like I start to realize even though that before school I'm into Ninja Turtles and Nintendo and Super Nintendo and Sega and yeah. uh, Power Rangers. I'm into everything that everyone else is, but I'm being looked at as different because of this thing that I can't control. And so, you know, it, uh, it left me pretty insecure. I really buried myself in drawing and writing and, of course, professional wrestling. It was something that, as I mentioned, my grandma brought into my life because she was a big wrestling fan, mm. uh, which it's funny in retrospect because the first event I remember watching is WrestleMania six, And then as she starts ordering the pay-per-views for me, I go back and I look in her tape library. And before I'm even born, she has, like, uh, WrestleMania one and two and before I'm even watching wrestling she's got Wrestlemania 4 and a Coliseum video and she had like a couple episodes of the AWA on ESPN mm-hmm. on uh, tape and I remember she had WrestleWar 91 and I didn't under- understand that there was another company outside of the WWF at the time and uh so she just she loved wrestling and she loved Hulk Hogan and that got me emotionally invested in pro wrestling, and so it didn't matter if the kids were making fun of me and made me feel different. If I can go home when I could watch wrestling for a few hours, uh, that made life so much better. And uh, it wasn't until uh, there was a point in my life because my parents were always at odds, where um, you know my mom was really into drugs, and my dad uh, had his ups and downs with drinking, so that would lead to a lot of verbal and physical abuse between the two of them. Yeah led to a lot of abuse on me and my brother. Um, And then later on, uh, I had a third brother that was born. Uh, He didn't have to put up with that as much because my parents divorced at that point, but um, uh, it just led to a broken home. And my mom decided to move us to, from Cleveland, Ohio to a little town called Wellington. And when that happened, she got into it with my aunt and uncle who we were moving in with. They called the police. turns out my mom had a warrant. She got arrested. And we were stuck with my aunt and uncle who kind of not uh, not, not in drug abuse, obviously, but they, weren't, they didn't have their shit together as far as paying their bills and everything. So I went from a situation living with my mom where uh, there, the heat would get cut off in the winter mm. and we would have to boil hot water to take baths and sometimes didn't have electricity uh, to a situation with my aunt and uncle where – they didn't have hot water, so we'd have to boil water to take baths, and sometimes the heat would get turned off or you know, whatever the case. So it was like the same deal without the drugs, and it was really difficult, and they took wrestling away from me. But something that they tried to do was, because they were ignorant to it, they said, you know, let's take you to a doctor so we could see if they can fix your hand. And again, no one has ever said anything other than the word stroke, and no one has explained what a stroke is to me. Yeah. And so I'm about 11 or 12 and my, I go to the doctor and and my doctor examines me, gives me a physical and he goes, well, you have cerebral palsy and you know, that's brain damage. So unless we can figure out a way to fix your brain, you're always going to be like this. And I remember being like, oh, okay. And then I remember going out to my uncle's truck and just, I started sobbing uncontrollably because it was the first time in my life that I really realized that I'm just, I'm stuck like this. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just nothing I do. No amount of prayers are going to make my hand and my arm get better. And so I got really depressed and angry and I kept more to myself than ever before. And um, childhood was, was rough for sure. But at some point, and I don't know when or where, but it, there just comes a point where you have to, look at your situation and that's what i did in my case and i go look i'm always going to be this way Mm. Uh, nothing i can do is going to change this disability so i can either continue to be angry and upset and pissed off at the world or i can make the best out of the hand i was dealt in life pun intended and uh i don't know like i just try to be more positive and optimistic and but again when you're a teenager that's hard man especially because like very hard yeah, like, you, you want to, like, date, and, you know, you all on top of a disability, you got acne, and then you're obsessed with wrestling, and that's not exactly mm-hmm. uh, something that's bringing in the chicks. <laughs> so it's like, it was um, it was rough for a little bit there, George.
0: Okay, no, I can, no, thank you for telling me that story as well. I mean, um, as a story, you know, you sort of had a head of a childhood, but uh, you mentioned before, Sat Gown was an inspiration to you, uh, was, and that was where you decided to become a pro wrestler. Um, I just want to know what is it, obviously, Zach Gowen himself had a disability where he had his leg amputated at a very, very young age. Um, I just want to know what is it that you saw in Zach, uh, not Zach Ryder game, Zach Gowen, sorry, that you thought, I can do that. I'm going to do that. When was that moment that you realized, okay, this is actually possible?
1: It was watching Zach on SmackDown when he, uh, well, he debuted, uh, when Piper pulled him out of the crowd because he was waving Mr. America's flag. And that mm. segment where Piper, which is beautifully done and I appreciate now more than ever just because, you know, I was a kid at the time and just understanding how good Piper was even more now when he pulls off Zach's leg and the way he reacts to it.
0: Yeah, it's good. We're showing yeah, hair. Yeah. yeah,
1: like Piper makes – gowan in that moment and then when you when we fast forward and we find out that zach is a trained performer because i didn't see him in tna i saw the Mm. tna stuff a little bit after i realized that he was in there but um you fast forward and you find out that he's a wrestler and he's trying to earn this contract and then he does the moonsault on the big show i don't know it just pumped me up Mm. because it was the first time that i saw someone on television that i in wrestling that i looked at and said wow, he's a lot like me. And, you know, I always hear those stories for like, you know, back in the seventies or eighties, when someone saw like uh, the Guerreros, because you didn't see a lot of Mexican wrestlers on TV when, the, and, and you see a little Mexican kid that sees the Guerreros and goes, oh man, like I could be like them, you know, like it yeah. gives you hope. And I think to some extent, seeing someone with a disability out there being a wrestler, you know, you don't think it's possible until you see someone doing it. And to me, like, it just, I don't know, it motivated me so much. Cause I knew that I wanted to be a part of wrestling because I was obsessed and I was memorizing all these useless facts and statistics in hopes that maybe I could go to broadcasting school and be a commentator or something, be like JR or something, because I can't, you know, I can't physically do it. But when I saw Zach, I thought to myself, well, maybe this is possible. And so then I begged my dad to get me a weight bench and he made fun of me and and thought it was dumb that I wanted to get a weight bench and even worse – Uh, The next week, we go on a camping trip to West Virginia, and he brought up to his friends, his drinking buddies that I brought up that I wanted to lift weights because I wanted to be a wrestler, and then him and his 40-ish-year-old drinking buddies made fun of me too, and as a 15- or 16-year-old kid – It's going to hurt. Yeah, especially when it's like – you're telling your friends, and your friends are kind of like you're dumb for thinking this, and then you tell adults, and they're like – you're dumb for thinking this. And it's like, mm. geez, is there anybody who is going to get behind me on this one? So it's just one of those things where it was like, I don't know. It's hard to even tell you where I found the strength or the courage to just keep pushing. It's it's hard to explain. I, I guess, you know, I often say it about wrestling now and my journey, you know, 15 years of doing this and um, sort of wanting to maybe go to the next level and get signed or do something in a backstage capacity. I love and appreciate everything I've done as a wrestler, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where you're like, uh, I guess I'm too dumb to quit because I love wrestling so much. That's what I always say. It's like, I'm too dumb to give up. Like, like I, I, I would give up if I wasn't so dumb. And I guess that was the case with me as a kid. It's like, geez, it, I really want to give up on life, but I'm too dumb. I like, I don't, I just, I don't, I don't know what the meaning of giving up is. I just, I have to keep going because there's something, there must be something in my heart or in my mind that just tells me that in the end, things are going to be okay. You got to get through the darkness to get to the light. Right. And I don't know, eventually my dad gave in and he got me that weight bench. And that was really the start of it for me was just kind of trying to build some self-confidence and, uh, Get prepared for wrestling, but also maybe a girl would pay attention to me if I was in decent shape, which didn't happen, Uh, (laughs) by the way, Uh, and I still kept because I was still like a weird nerdy kid that like, I Mm. I would go to a thrift store that was about five minutes from my house, and I would find these wrestling shirts that people just gave away. I found some really cool vintage shirts that I wear to this day because they actually fit me. That is one thing
0: I really love, by the way the vintage shirts that you wear, like just a sunny top. And, do you know what's funny? Why is that it does come back to what you said? Is yeah, that style back then wasn't cool, but now it's literally you're the cool kid,
1: (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, it's it's straight. Well, you find out, and this is why I love talking to kids in school that you find out that a lot of those kids in school that are are cool at the time and make fun of you mm-hmm. after they graduate their life quickly goes downhill. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And, and yep. so, so I'm very happy that I was completely dorky and uncool mm-hmm. for four years, as opposed to the, the entire rest of my life, you know? <laughs> so like, I, I feel really good about that, but you know, I'd go to these thrift stores and so like I, I found some really good finds at the store that I still have. Like um it was called unique thrift store. It was about five minutes from my house. And to this day, I still have a, you, do you remember when stone cold jumped off the Zamboni and he like attacked Vince yeah. and he's, He gets arrested and he's wearing that blue Austin shirt with like the skeleton given the middle finger. Yeah. I found that for like three bucks at that thrift store and I still wear <sighs> it. And I found a WrestleMania one shirt at that thrift store for like $2. I still wear it. It's like super faded and shitty and I love it. Uh, but, but I would find a lot of the times there weren't shirts that were size small or medium. I'd find these XL shirts and I would wear them to school. So, yeah. uh, and, and in my brain, I would try to justify it by like, you know, I'll eventually grow into this because I thought I just didn't had, hadn't hit a growth spurt yet. You know, I'm five four. I'm like, it's gonna happen. I'll grow yeah. into an XL shirt. It never panned out for me, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's sort of where it started. I got off on a tangent there, but no, um, no, nah, 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 I'm I, enjoying it. I, 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 I was just too dumb to give up on wrestling despite not having any support at all and sometimes you know and again this is what i tell kids like you can't listen to the lies people tell you mm-hmm. because if i listen to my dad and look i love my dad okay i think he doesn't know how to talk to people sometimes or talk to me i think he has a, a lot of his own inner turmoil that he doesn't want to talk about because he's from a different generation and you don't do those types of things not that yeah. that's right i wish my dad would open up a little bit more just how it isn't it yeah and and so but like it's one of those things where sometimes you just can't listen to those lies people tell you and if it's something that's in your heart you got to follow and try it. I don't believe in following the blueprint of life. Like I could have stayed in college and got a job that I could just settle for and then mm. maybe found, you know, the the girlfriend and then had the kids and the picket fence. I still want those things but I just wanted them in a very different way. I, d- I didn't want to do those things the way everybody else did. And that's because I wanted to follow this path of where instead of settling for a job you hate, I wanted to try being half naked and oiled up in spandex.
0: So it makes me feel better about being a wrestling fan right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, well, we'll return to Zach Aaron, uh, because you would form the tag team, the handicap heroes, but I'd like to know how did you end up at JT Lightning's Cleveland or pro wrestling school and how did you discover it and how did you find the coaches and also it's where you'd meet current NXT superstar Johnny Gargano yeah so
1: there was a kid that I went to school with named Dave and Dave was a big wrestling fan he ended up getting into wrestling for a little while then he canceled himself because he's a actual moron but uh and just you know like Dave was nice when we were kids but he's uh I don't think he's a very good person but that's a whole another discussion but dave was a big wrestling fan and he claimed that he wanted to be a wrestler just like me and so i was like oh cool like i met this kid that was kind of like-minded and uh you know i'll talk to him a little bit and he told me he was going to these local shows for cleveland all pro wrestling and at the time i knew indie wrestling was a thing but i didn't really follow it other than pro wrestling illustrated, like I'd read about ring of honor and Mm. I'd read about CZW and XPW. And so I I knew that they existed, but I never, I didn't think there was anything in my backyard, I guess. And then he brought a flyer for a Cleveland all pro show that was going to have CM punk. And I really wanted to go because I liked the CM punk character in ring of honor. And I thought it was cool that he was straight edge and he didn't drink and smoke. And I really didn't know, being straight edge was like a term or a thing. I just thought like I was a weirdo that didn't drink and smoke like anybody else. So when I saw CM Punk, I was like, Oh, this guy's cool. I'd like to beat him. I didn't go to that show. And then he ended up getting signed to WWE. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm never going to meet CM Punk. That sucks. But I go to the next show, which ends up being Buff Bagwell versus former ECW star, Chris Hamrick. And I don't know. Like, I was just drawn into this uh, wrestling show in this terrible building that used to be a school back in the day mm. and uh, just dimly lit, a uh, bunch of
0: local jacks at the show. Did you uh, get a, a Polaroid, with buff bag, by any chance? Did, you get did any, I get a like, what? Did you get any, like, uh, Polaroids or any merchandise? Was, did everything merch table back then?
1: Yeah, you know what he did? I can't remember if I got – I don't think I got a photo op with him. I might have. If I did, I think that kid Dave has it because he would go to the shows with me. But I did get an autographed 8x10 from Chris Hamrick, which I don't know what happened to it because I, I, I loved UCW, too, and I thought Hamrick was cool. Buff wasn't out at his table at the time, so I was like, oh, here's Chris Hamrick. I'll get an 8x10 from him. And also someone that I was a big fan of that I ended up buying a shirt from was M-Dog 20 Matt Cross because oh my, really? friend, my, my friend Dave, uh he had – well, I had seen the backyard wrestling game, right? And mm-hmm. in the game for Xbox, there was a DVD bonus feature where they would they had some matches on there. And so I saw M Dog and Josh Prohibition and Madman Pondo and a few other guys. And what stuck out to me was when they interviewed Matt, you know, they asked him, How are you enjoying California? He says, Well, it's much better than the weather where I'm from, Cleveland, Ohio, right now in the winter. And I remember going, Oh my God, there's another, there's a wrestler from Cleveland, Ohio. Cause Mm. back then now there's so many guys from Cleveland and the Northeast Ohio area. It's like really crazy that Ohio has produced so many talents over the last 15 years. But at that point in time, really, the only guy we can lay claim to was Al Snow, who was from Lima, which is like three hours away. So there was like no one from Cleveland. And so when I went to the show and I saw M-Dog leading up to it, My friend Dave said, you know, if you worked out a little bit more, I think you could be built like M-Dog. And I loved his high-flying stuff and everything. So, like, Mm. I was just – I was really captivated by Matt Cross. And so I bought a shirt off of him. But nothing off of Buff Bagwell. But Buff Daddy did get me emotionally invested, and I kept going back to those shows. And that's sort of how I got the ball rolling. JT Lightning was the promoter. I got my foot in the door by selling tickets for him. I was 18 at the time. Uh, I was still hesitant about wrestling. Cause I, I, uh, I started lifting. I was inspired by Zach's story, but I just, I was questioning myself. I was doubting it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be bad at it. Cause if I'm bad at it, then maybe I'll hate wrestling. If I hate wrestling, what has my life been about? It's been a lie. Right. So I'm like, I don't want to hate wrestling. So maybe I shouldn't do this. And I remember I called JT lightning on the phone one day and I asked him, you know, can I like train to be a manager or something? And he said, let me ask you a question. And and JT was always a dick to me. I want to make that perfectly clear. He was not a nice person to me, but this Uh, one time, this one time when it counted, he goes, let me ask you something is wrestling in your heart. And I remember when he said that to me on the phone, I got choked up. And uh, depending on what we talk about in the story, you're going to notice that Greg crying when it involves wrestling, it's going to be a reoccurring theme in the story. And I got choked up and I said, yeah, it's in my heart. And, uh, it wasn't too long after that, that I, uh, I decided after WrestleMania 22, the next Tuesday, I was going to do my tryout with Cleveland all pro wrestling. Cause I always wanted to remember the date come a big date guy. Mm. I don't know why, like I have to remember dates for some reason. And so, uh, it was two days after WrestleMania 22 that I, uh, I paid 50 bucks for a tryout. I got the shit kicked out of me for a couple hours, Learned how to hit the ropes, take the turnbuckles bump uh probably bumped on my heads more more time than I care to remember that day and uh for whatever reason uh they told me okay come back on Thursday and bring money and I was like okay And I came back on Thursday and then I came back on Tuesday and that's where I met Johnny I think the second time I came to class Johnny was there and he was working out with a dude by the name of Action Dan Spade And it was just Johnny and Action Dan Spade. JT wasn't there for some reason, so I think he was letting Johnny run class. And I remember I refed for that match that he was doing with Action Dan. I actually met Johnny technically a few months prior because he was was already on shows. I met him doing security guarding at a a show, but this was like my first real interaction with him. And I don't know, our friendship just kind of blossomed from there. At, At first, I feel like he was really... Johnny was a weird guy, as far as like uh, he was being very standoffish. Me, me, and Matt Justice, who's very prominent in GCW now, he uh, he was also a, a guy I became fast friends with. Me and Matt actually started doing road trips together out of mm. Cleveland. He was my first travel buddy, and we really wanted to be friends with Johnny. And I remember we'd always sit at like a subway after the after training. It would be like why doesn't Johnny want to be our friend? You know what I mean? Like, cause like, cause we'd be like, Hey, do you need a ride home or something? And he'd be like, no, I'm fine. My parents are going to pick me up. I'm like, ah. And then I found out he lived on uh, store Avenue. And like, that's the same area that I sort of grew up around. Like no one that was coming to training was really from the area. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Action Dan was from Akron, Ohio, which is like an hour away. And Matt Justice was from Streetsboro, which was like 45 minutes away. And I, while I didn't live in that area at the time, it was an area that i was very familiar with and it turned out once johnny warmed up to me and we realized that we both like ninja turtles and power rangers and all this nerd stuff and we loved Shawn michaels and the same type of wrestling that uh he <laughs> he invited me over for a sleepover we're like 19 years old and he said like you should come <laughs> he, said, he said he said you should come sleep over sometime and i said and i remember thinking to myself in my brain because i'm like I don't remember the last time I had a sleepover over a dude's house, but I'm like, I want to be his friend. So I guess I'll have a sleepover. And, uh, we ended up having a lot of sleepovers and, uh, I don't know. We just, uh, we kind of came inseparable from that point on. And it it turns out, you know, there was a point in my life where, um, for about a year or two before I ended up getting evicted. my, My mom got evicted from two houses on the same street and, uh, so I basically lived, like, 10 houses down from Johnny, like, right around the corner and didn't even realize it. And it's one of those things where I often think, like, how weird life is. Because if I would have knew that kid lived ten, 10 houses down, I don't know. Like, it maybe my childhood would have been a little different because I could have bonded with a kid
0: that was... Someone just that talks upset. about wrestling with.
1: Yeah, like, he was just as obsessed with wrestling as I was. Like, he literally had Shawn Michaels painted on his wall and knowing how cool
0: his mom was. No way. Be, oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. His his mom is a great artist and she painted Shawn Michaels on his wall. And so even when I moved in, I mean, Shawn Michaels was still on that wall. And I, I don't know, it would have been cool like because Johnny's mom is basically like my mom now. And I really needed a good mother figure mm. in my life at that time because my mom sucked. And I wish I would have met her a lot sooner. I wish I would have met Johnny sooner, but it all worked out the way it was supposed to be. And I was hanging out with Johnny so much that uh, it got to the point where his mom said, you know, like we have this upstairs, which I knew they had an upstairs because uh, Johnny had a weight room in it. It was basically an upstairs apartment, but the weight room was the living room. And that was really all that was up there. And it was kind of dumpy up there, but so it needed to be cleaned up. And I remember his mom saying, maybe you should just move in upstairs. And, I remember because me and Johnny, even though we were hanging out every day, we still mm. had like this weird relationship where it's like, I don't know, like there was something about Johnny where like, there, there was like a, it's weird. Like I can get emotional with people, but at the time, especially like, it was hard for me to like, really, I was afraid to ask Johnny stuff. Cause I thought he'd be weird about it. And I remember after his mom pitched moving in, I remember we were lifting weights one day and I go, Hey, uh, your mom asked me if I wanted to move in here. And he said, Oh, I said, would you be okay with that? And he says, "Yeah, I don't care." And I was like, oh, "Okay, thank God." So, <laughs> so then, uh, so then I moved in upstairs, and I think that was the best thing that I could have done because uh, I was so invested in wrestling and I wanted to be good at it because I was not good at the time, and it took me a long time. I feel like to really be mm. decent at it. I think the best education that I could have gotten in professional wrestling was living upstairs with Johnny, being able to talk with someone twenty four hours a day about the same thing that we were passionate about and sort of have someone for the first time in my life that I could stand side by side with for help and like who could like sympathize with the things that I was going through and like questions. And and a lot of the time, JT Lightning, he didn't come to training and Johnny would be in charge. And then a lot of the time, no, no other kids showed up in the class except for, so there were some kids that showed up all the time yeah. It, was, it was like uh, my friend Ben Boone, who I'm still friends with, and the Sky Hobo Joe and Matthew Justice and uh, a girl by the name of uh, Nikki who wrestles as Zoe Sky now, who I think is incredibly talented. But they were always in and out. It seemed like the constant people that were there were me and Johnny. And there were so many times in training where we'd show up. It's just me and Johnny. Mm. What do you want to do today, Greg? I don't know. What do you want to do? And we would like teach each other wrestling, you know, he is as young as we were, we were we were learning together. And I think that's the best education in pro wrestling I could have gotten. Like Johnny helped me understand JT taught me basics, but he didn't teach me why I did them. And yeah. Johnny sort of he was even he was so much advanced even for having only a like a year or two experience. Like he would explain why I did certain things. And once I knew why I did things, not only could I apply them the way they were supposed to be done, but now I can I can apply them in unconventional ways because I understand why I'm doing it. So I like, I'm just so thankful for my friendship with Johnny.
0: He is one of my favorites to watch um, in NXT and currently he's a uh, technically like technically he's one of the best uh, in wrestling right now. So yeah. uh, back to Zach Gowen, uh, yeah. who we mentioned as an inspiration, uh, you actually get to, team with him. I want to know, what was your first impression of Zach Garrett? Because I know he sort of had a bad spell um, with sort of substance abuse and other things. Um, But obviously he's you know, sort of come clean now which is great. But I want to know what was your first impression like? And what is he like to team with?
1: Uh, I had a lot of disdain for him when I first met him. And it Mm. sucked because I remember he came into Cleveland All-Pro in October of 2006. And my birthday was that month. And for whatever reason, this was the first show I wasn't on, so I was kind of annoyed. And in retrospect, you know, it wasn't my trainer, JT Lightning's responsibility to put me on every show. Quite frankly, I probably shouldn't have been wrestling as quickly as I was, but JT threw me in the ring because I would sell tickets. I wish I would have had more seasoning under my belt because I was not ready to be performing in front of a live crowd. But regardless, I remember I was a little upset that I wasn't on the show because, I don't know, in my brain, I was going to wrestle on the same show as Zach Allen and I could like – be in the locker room with my gear on and be like hey I'm a pro wrestler too and you inspired me and I couldn't do that but so the best thing I was able to do was walk up to him and uh, I remember for some reason there was another kid that came to training for a little bit who was uh he was going to college for film and he wanted to film like a little documentary for school and for whatever reason he couldn't go down in the basement so he had me work his camera and I had to film some stuff in the basement and I actually found that kid on Facebook recently, and I tried to see if he had this footage mm. because um, it was so strange. In this locker room, looking back at it now, it's pretty incredible. I went down there, and I was filming something with Zach Allen, and he was bragging like a dickhead about how he pinned the big show. Like, this was like... And this was like... This was, like he was, like, actually bragging about it because he was a dumb, like, 21-year-old kid, right? Like, so mm. there was, like... I I don't know. It was like weird. And then Brian Danielson, there was a bicycle that used to sit down in the basement of Turner's hall that just looked like shit. And, uh, I don't even know why I was down there. I'm filming Brian Danielson riding this terrible banana bicycle. And he's like the happiest I've ever seen any human being ever. (laughs) And, uh, just, uh, just all the other shenanigans that are happening in the basement. But uh, apparently this footage doesn't exist anymore, but whatever. Uh. But, um, But I remember asking down after I stopped filming, like, hey, when you get some time, can I, like, pick your brain a little bit? Because I wrestle with this disability. He goes, yeah, sure. And I remember I pulled him aside and uh, later that day, and I go, hey, uh, blah, 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 this is my story. You inspired me. Like, what should I do um, to try to get better? He goes, what are you doing right now? And I said, "Uh, like, I come to training, and I'm working out, and uh, I'm just trying to figure out how – to get more booking and stuff. He's like, we'll just keep doing that. And I was like, oh, okay. And then like and he just kind of walked away. Yeah. And I remember like not really come to, coming to terms with the idea that he was sort of dismissive at the time. Yeah. And then like as the days passed, I was like, he's kind of a dickhead. And then I uh and then I did another show with him a couple months later. And I was like again like a 20 year old kid. I was experimenting with different facial hair and stuff. So I remember I like shaved my uh i couldn't grow a full beard at the time so i i used just to, to do the goatee mm-hmm. and so i decided to shave my goatee and grow my sideburns really long and then i remember he walks in the locker room and he goes why do you got those fucking rico sideburns and i'm like you how am i might he's like you look like an idiot and then he just walked away from me and i and I remember just being like i hate this dude like why would he? <laughs> like like what a what a right <laughs> yeah and so some time passes. I don't see Zach for a long time. And then it turns out, like you sort of alluded to, he had a lot of substance abuse issues that I didn't realize when I was dealing with him back in those days. Mm-hmm. And he ended up going to drug rehab. And he gets out in uh, February. He goes in at February, uh, I think, of 2010. He gets out a couple months later. Whatever the, whatever the timeline was, uh, I think it was uh, maybe spring. Of 2010, I end up being his first match out of rehab. It was me and him teaming up against some big fat dude in West Virginia. And it was just one of those things where um, a lot of promoters would always say, Oh, you have a disability? I'd love to team with Zach Dowen. And I remember at first I'd be like, Oh, yeah, cool. But then after I met him, I was like, Cool, I guess. And then, uh, you know, they teamed us up. So I was like, Oh, we'll see how this goes. And turns out, you know, he's out of rehab. So he's like, a, it was like meeting a different person. It was like the first, this was actually the first time I met him and he was so cool. And we do this match. I remember he was like saying stuff like, you know, maybe we should team together or something, man, but we need like a cool team name. Right. As just like a joke. And I remember telling my buddy, Joe Dombrowski, who's done a lot of stuff for ring of honor and he's doing stuff for AAW in Chicago. Now he, he said, uh, he said, uh, what name do you want me to pitch to you for you and Zach? If you were a tag team as a joke. And I said, Oh, we should call ourselves like uh, the handicapped handguns, sort of like the motor city machine guns. Right. And he told Zach and Zach loved it. And then, um, fast forward, somehow Zach got my number and he called me one day and this is after, uh, again, so we don't team up for a long time after that. So this is a year later. Mm. I do the thing with CM Punk, which, uh, depending on what you want to talk about. Yeah, Kaban no, no, and uh, we,
0: we will talk about that is that way, but Zach Gowan story is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I do the thing with Punk, and my story becomes more prevalent, mm. and all of a sudden Gowan has my number, and he calls me out of the blue, and he goes, I want to apologize for mistreating you when I met you, because I did an interview, and I can't remember if it was with Cabana, or Dave Lagana, or someone, but I did their podcast and uh, he said, I didn't know that I was such a big influence on you getting into wrestling. And I feel so bad about what I did. And mm. when I heard you talking about that on the podcast, I started crying. And again, Zach is trying to recover his wrestling career at this point still a year later. And I guess we could have been, you know, competing handicapped wrestlers. But I think Zach realized that the sum was greater than the individual parts. And he said, listen, I would really love to legitimately team with you because I love your story and I think you're talented and I think we could do some great stuff together. And it sort of just grew from there. Like, we, mm-hmm. that's how we started teaming. He sort of extended the olive branch and it was just a cool feeling to now have the friendship of a guy that, you know, I'd only watched on TV and just, you know, he – inspired me to get in the ring and then you know you fast forward even further And I know I'm skipping ahead here but mm-hmm. it's weird how life comes full circle because I've sort of been taking it out of my gimmick uh, I wear for a long time I wore handicap symbols on my gear because I thought when I got into wrestling uh, if I wore handicap symbols people would know right away it would be a very distinguishable trait but also I think I could sort of create some empowerment in the handicap symbol because I think people look at it and think weakness. Uh, and I think it's really a symbol of strength. I think it's, I think it's, uh, you are, it it is what you make it. Mm. And I wanted to make it, it, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to put it out there. And so I only thought of that idea because when I watched Zach Allen versus Vince McMahon at Vengeance 2003, that's a great match by the way. Yes. It's in the Pepsi center in Denver, Colorado. Mm. And there's a sign in the crowd that that uh, the cut to, and it says, shame on you, Vince, with a handicap logo on it. And I remember thinking, why doesn't Zach Gowan wear a handicap symbol on his gear? If I were a wrestler, I'd wear a handicap symbol on my gear so everybody would know that I'm handicapped, right? Yeah. And and so uh, right before the pandemic, I got booked for a show in Denver, and I was told that it was going to be in a big arena because they were running after a lacrosse game and I didn't put two and two together and rolling up to the venue and I'm told it's the Pepsi Center. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, isn't that where Zach wrestled Vince McMahon? And then I Googled it just to make sure, and it was. And so now in 2020, I was wrestling in the Pepsi Center in front of like 5,000 people with handicap symbols on my gear, the same building that I saw Zach Russell Vince and like got the idea to do in the first place. That's mental. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, like you can't put a price on a moment like that. It it was, uh, it was very, very surreal. It's weird where life can take you. If you just, again, you don't listen to the lies that people tell you and you just follow your dreams.
0: That's a guest. I've enjoyed that. And just, just one thing I did pick up on is you mentioned about the handicap handguns. Uh, What made you change that name to the handicap heroes? Real simple. Speaking in schools, because uh, you don't want to go into schools
1: and bill yourself as the handicapped handguns, especially with all all the idiots that not only uh, love uh, bringing guns around in public in general, but people that bring guns into schools Mm. don't really want to publicize that if you want to speak to children and so Handicapped Heroes became the easy transition because I had already nicknamed myself the Handicapped Hero, so why don't we just uh, pluralize that and make it the team name? So that was that was the way we went with that.
0: That was actually my first introduction to you as well. Uh, that and a moment that you brushed over, uh, you were teamed with Cock Banner, and then after a match, uh, current WWE, well, at the time, he was the current WWE champion uh, CM Punk in 2011, uh, July. Hopefully, I'm right on my dates. So could be wrong. <laughs> yep. uh, That's on my head. But anyway, so he you came out it. as a surprise, and he fully endorsed you. And it was like just like a film, you know. Uh, what was the moment like for you? Do you still keep in touch with Colt, um, CM Punk, and also, did you know? I had no idea. Listen, I almost cancelled that
1: show, uh, which I'm glad that I didn't do. I I uh, I was at a crossroads in my wrestling career. I had been going to a lot of shows and losing a lot of money. I had been trying to seek advice from anybody with more experience than me and just see what I'm supposed to do next. Because I figure if I want to be successful in professional wrestling, I should probably talk to the guys that are successful at it. You know, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you enter wrestling, you don't know who to seek advice from, but I think you should really look at the people that are doing the things that you want to do. And chances are, that's the person you probably want to listen to. Right. And so, um, one of those guys I'd always go to was Colt Cabana because I always enjoyed Colt's work and Ring of Honor. And I thought he was a great wrestler. I thought he was a great comedy wrestler. And I would just always ask him to watch my matches and give me feedback and stuff. And he would. And uh, he, you, you never know who remembers the things that you do and say, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was literally going to cancel the show in Chicago. I just lost my job because my manager at this shitty tool store that I worked at told me I needed to pick my job or wrestling, and so we had some words. And guess what? <laughs> I picked wrestling, and oh, retail man. Yeah, yeah, yep. And so it's rough, man. I never want to go back to that. I'll tell you that. Uh, we, we, could, we could do a whole podcast about retail like, <laughs> I, I, I hate customers. I just, I just uh, saw a guy on TikTok that I love who's like. Uh, he's he's uh, making fun of all the things that um, people say to you in retail. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, you walk into the store and it's just like you go, "Hey, how, how's it going today?" And they go, "I'm just looking." And then he responds with, "Like, I'm just trying to have a decent conversation. You know, like <laughs> I'm just trying, I'm just trying to have a normal conversation like a normal human being. Oh. It doesn't mean I'm trying to sell you something. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I would always have that stuff go through my head. But I'm I'm getting off I'm getting off track. So I lose this job. I don't have money. And while I could have went to Chicago and maybe paid a little bit of my way. I didn't want to have to borrow money from someone in the car yeah. as my portion of the gas. Like I was just at, for whatever reason at that moment, I was too proud. And then leading up to the show, Ricky Shane page, who's now one of my closest friends. We weren't that close at the time. We were going to be in the car together. He goes, uh, Hey, Danny, the promoter wants to know if you're still coming to the show. And I said, uh, yeah, but I knew I was going to cancel, but I said, yeah. And he, I said, why? And he said, well, I guess you and Colt are teaming up. And I said, That's really weird. This is like the week of the show, by the way. And I'm like, That's weird. Why would that happen? Because I never did anything at AAW in Chicago at that point. Like, it was always pre show dark matches for $0, right? And so I was like, I don't, I don't, that's weird that that's happening. And he goes, And it's for the tag team titles. And I was like, That's even weirder. And I thought to myself, I can't miss this booking now. And so I went to my brother who was working at, a gas station that i pretty positive was a cover-up for drug selling that's a whole podcast and i walked up to him and i said hey i need to borrow fifty dollars to go to chicago and this is where gas prices were like through the roof so fifty dollars would barely cover my amount but it would be enough so he gave me 50 bucks and i went to chicago and i saw cm punk for a second when i walked in the building and i remember being like What the f like, because again, you go back. The first show I was going to go to was with CM Punk, and I didn't go, and I thought I'd never meet him. And the week prior, he just won the belt at Money in the Bank, so he's like the biggest thing in wrestling. And I'm like, Holy crap, CM Punk's in the building! And so I casually walk up to him to shake his hand, you know, and I remember him looking at me and going. High with like a little s- sly smirk right yeah and i'm thinking to myself that was really weird that he did that and i told ricky that and i was like he like looked at me weird like he knew who i was and i don't know like should i go talk to him should i ask him for advice and he's like oh, i don't know man and so fast forward we do the tag team match and i remember thinking before i went to the ring as we're calling the match oh no punk is gonna watch this match because cabana's in it and i was like oh god and i I even remember as we're calling it, Colt looked at me at one point and he goes, Greg, are you okay? Cause it must've been written all over my face that I was not okay. I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And, mm-hmm. we match and it was fine. And Colt puts me over on the mic and then he tells me to stay in the ring and I'm waving and the crowd is on their feet. And then I knew he was getting punk once he went back there. I just knew it, but I didn't think it was going to be about me. I just thought I was going to be in the background of this WB storyline and he was going to come out with the belt or something. And He comes out, the crowd goes crazy. And I remember standing in the corner of the ring and, you know, I, I, um, he walks up to me and he goes, like, personally, he goes to me before he even grabs the mic and goes, shakes my hand and goes, are you okay? You're fucking awesome. And I remember being like, oh my God, like that was so cool. But no one's ever going to know he said that. And when I tell people they're going to think I'm lying, but I know he said that. And that was really cool. And then he got on the mic and he goes, blah, blah, blah. Part of my language but you're fucking awesome and he's like looking right at me now and I'm like oh god and now I have the lump in my throat and I could feel the tears are going to come and he goes you know you overcome more than I ever have just waking up every day and he just cuts this whole promo about me nothing about the WWE title nothing about Vince McMahon nothing about leaving the company or being the biggest thing in the industry the promo was designed for me he was there for me and I was just overcome with emotion. Yeah, And it was it was very dreamlike. The whole day is still very dreamlike. It just um, it was very overwhelming. It's emotional just thinking about it right now because I don't know if Punk or Cabana, and Cabana is the one that set that up. I don't know if, if they realized just how much that meant not only to my career, mm. but, my, but my life. Because for a kid that was bullied and made fun of and no one ever had his back, to have that moment in Chicago and it didn't matter where it went from there. Like it didn't matter if I got signed by WB after that or whatever, or if I started making a lot of money in the Indies, that one moment justified all of the hard work that I ever had gone through in my life.
0: Yeah.
1: And like, I could never, ever, ever repay Cole and Punk for that. And later that night, well, after the match, I, I you know, I said, well, I guess I could talk to Punk now. <laughs> uh, so what is he gonna say? Fuck off, you know. He just kind of, was a great problem on me. Yeah, at your and moment, so, kid. Yeah. So, so I pulled him aside and I said, "Hey, can I talk to you for a bit?" And he's like, "Sure." And. I told him, you know, uh, one of the guys that helped train me was Josh Prohibition. And Josh Prohibition used to travel with Punk. And he goes, oh, so we're basically like brothers. And I said, yes, we're basically like brothers. See you, Punk. <laughs> and we go, <laughs> uh, go, go, go up to the second floor of this building for AAW. And we talked for like, it seemed like forever. It was maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I don't know. And I was just picking his mm-hmm. brain and asking for advice. And I remember leaving that building and seeing Colt in the parking lot before I left. And I just asked him, Uh, hey, why did you do that? And he said, don't worry about why I did it. Just know that it's a gift. And now it's your job to run with this gift. And Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that. And I don't know if uh, I don't think I dropped the ball, but uh, I I think I've ran with the ball with my one arm as good as I can and as hard as I can. And I like to think that I've done a thing or two since then. And again, like there's been points where I've been able to earn a living as a wrestler. Mm. Uh, there were points where I was still struggling right after that CM Punk thing. Uh, for two years before the pandemic, I was strictly wrestling and motivational speaking. But that doesn't happen if someone doesn't see how hard I'm working and put that spotlight on me in Chicago in July of 2011. And I, I just I can never repay those dudes. And so uh, they are the reason why I'm still a wrestler today because even though I said I'm too dumb to quit sometimes, I
0: might have quit in 2011, but I'm still at it 15 years. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Still going strong, man. Um, yeah. We're not, we're not going to end it, but I mean, I do have a few more things to do when I ask. I'm annoying like that. Um, no, you're fine. Before... <laughs> you're fine. I got time. <laughs> uh, before I do talk about a few other things, uh, what was, you said about the advice that he gave you. Uh, what what was the, the advice? Are you okay to tell me or is it something you want to keep to yourself? From punk? Yeah. I mean, it was just,
1: it was just kind of keep pushing forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's nothing like very specific that sticks out. Like, because again, it was very dreamlike. I remember, uh, you know, he, he just told me like, you know, like, uh, he, he, he put me over in the ring, but then there were some things about the match that he criticized. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Which which is fine. Please, please. Like, like give me all the input. You know what I'm saying? Like you're. Mm the best in the world no pun intended so like tell me what i could do better and he complimented my physique and uh i remember we talked about him uh he told me he didn't want to give out his number but if i gave him a demo and like a resume i could give it to cabana and he would pass it along to johnny ace Mm. and uh i have no reason not to believe that punk did that with because i quickly got together a demo and a resume and I passed it along to Cabana and uh yeah like I just I don't know I I regret not getting like a picture with him I mean I have pictures with him in the ring but I never got a picture with him in that moment I think because I was just so starstruck and Mm -hmm. um but uh I don't know it, it was it was just probably one of my best life moments ever and I remember just I called my dad after and I don't think my dad, he does he I don't think, I know he doesn't understand like how passionate I am about wrestling. I remember there were a few people that I called right away. Like as soon as I got off the phone, as soon as I got out of the building, I called Johnny and I called Vic Joseph, who now works for WWE. Like he was, uh, you know, me and Johnny kind of helped break him into wrestling. And I called my dad and I remember I started crying when I called him. I didn't know why I was crying, and then I told him, "You know, CM Punk, he's the WWE champion, and he publicly endorsed me, and now I think this video is going to go viral. And people are going to hear my story." But he's like, "Oh my God, is that it? Like, I thought you were in a car accident or something. Like, why are you crying? You know, I just, like, I don't know. I'm just so emotional about it, and blah blah blah." Because it's like, so he doesn't get it. He still doesn't yeah. get it. What's a punk? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, like. I mean, he knows who CM Punk is. Oh, he's yeah. like, But but you know, he's just like, who cares, right? Like, because yeah. like it just doesn't resonate with him than it does with me i don't think he understood that how pivotal that moment was for me but that, that's what i remember about that night again like mm. it it's a it's very hazy because it just it did not seem real
0: mm. are you yeah. a big ricky steamboat fan by the way because i I did an asylum uh, store virtual meet and greet uh, about what day That's that month so it's may about two three months ago and then it's like it's gregory iron <laughs> he popped up out of the blue uh, yeah. so i just want to know like uh, i think you said you got it as a gift because uh, i was queued up i was like i need to get in front of me but um yeah i just want to know like you're a big ricky steamboat fan as well i enjoy ricky steamboat man i especially enjoy his trilogy of matches from
1: 89 with flair mm-hmm. and i think uh i know a lot of people point to the shytown rumble as that as the standout match of those but i really enjoyed the wrestle war 89 match and i think it helps that I I like the aftermath of it with, oh, with Terry, Terry yeah. With Terry Terry getting in the ring and like being very, uh, try to be very formal. Like you know, I'd like a title shot now. And Ric Flair's like, well, you're not in the top ten contenders. You've mm-hmm. been away from wrestling and in, in Hollywood, so you know until you do that, Terry, I- I'm sorry, I just can't give you a title shot. And then Terry snaps and he puts him through the table, and that's it's one like of the first is. instances of someone going through a table like that. Yeah. And uh, so I really love that Wrestle War '89 match. And then like, you know, uh. Ricky Steamboat with Steve Austin in 94, those oh, matches were so great. So smooth,
0: those matches, so crisp.
1: Yeah, like, and I didn't really appreciate it at the time in 94, but I really get pissed off watching their Clash of the Champions match from that year because it's on the same show where Hogan goes to the hospital, and so they're, they're doing this cutaway where like they put uh, Steamboat and, and Austin in the corner of the screen, real tiny. And then they have like a big portion of the screen dedicated to like Hogan going to the hospital. And as, as a kid, I was very concerned about Hogan. Now I really want to watch that match because I know mm. how good they are. And I'm like, fuck, can we like, Please focus on this match and not Hogan going to the hospital because <laughs> now, now we know he's he's not going to sell the uh, mm. Nancy Kerrigan angle they did earlier where he gets hit in the freaking back of the leg with the, the uh, crowbar. He's going to be back later, and he's still going to beat Ric Flair. He's going to walk mm. back from the hospital supposedly and beat Ric Flair after being assaulted with a crowbar. Why can't you just do the job, Hogan? Why can't you sell?
0: Yeah, Why? that is so true. It's like with the WrestleMania six, when I've gone back and watched it as an adult, I'm like get the fuck out of the ring. <laughs> mm. Get worried at the moment. Stop milking it. Same thing at WrestleMania
1: four. Like leave the ring when when Macho Man wins. Oh, that like, is okay. so wrong. Like 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 okay, like you helped him win. Cool. Maybe mm. he could have used a little bit of that rub in in the finish. But like you don't have to stay in the ring, Hogan. Just leave. Mm. He does the same thing when when
0: Macho Man wins the world championship in WCW. Oh, the World War thing. He's just like. Putting his foot under the rope. He just, yeah, like, his first title. Get- go away. <laughs> go away. Oh, I'm glad that it's not just me that gets angry. At it. And I'm not denying like Hogan is one of the best of all time, but you go For back, sure. like, there's a reason why OSW review call him Cunt Hogan. So, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Love it though. Um, that's cool, man. We've, um, being a wrestler, there is one thing I, I do want to talk about. Uh, there's two things, actually, because it was it reminded me of the episode with um, The Art of Wrestling. But uh, you've picked up multiple injuries, uh, which is why I respect anyone does it, and I'm a complete fanboy, and I'm a podcaster, and I'm not a wrestler. But uh, you suffered a uh, severe wiener injury. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, that was a show in New Jersey, and it was a
1: horrible day and a horrible time in my life. Mm. And, uh, like, so that time, that was... Uh, Boy, what month was that? It was 2017, but I don't remember the month, but it's after July. And I know this because me and my girlfriend that had been together for almost five years broke up. And so I was really dealing with that. It kind of came out of nowhere. Um, she was seeing another person and, uh, unbeknownst to me. So that created sort of a problem. And okay. uh, yeah, and so uh, I, it was hard to come to terms with the fact that. Um, I don't know we'd been together so long. I just thought that was it for me. And Mm. so, uh, at the time we were still kind of talking sporadically and maybe trying to work things out, which was hard because when something like that happens, you have to read a lot about forgiveness and you have to really weigh the negatives and the positives. And you sort of have to ask yourself, if I get back into this relationship, knowing how I am sarcastic and like, um, witty at times sometimes i hold a grudge i had to say to myself uh if i get back with this person do i can never when we argue like stay in an argument and use like uh you know like maybe i didn't take out the trash or something i can't really go hey remember when you fucked that guy behind my back give me a second take out the trash you know what i'm saying like you can't Mm. you can't like you can't use things like that against people like if you truly love someone you have to be able to understand that they um people make mistakes and if they're truly sorry you have to be able to forgive them and not throw that in their face at any moment and so like i really was prepared to do that um and so we're uh we're sort of trying to work things out uh then she decides that she doesn't want this to be a thing again and so uh fast forward to the show me Matt Cross, who now is a good friend of mine too, which again is surreal because I, I looked up to him so much. And Zach Allen, who's my friend and tag team partner now, we're all in a car together. We are driving to New Jersey. Early today. day, a truck hit my car, not enough to um, stop the car from running, but enough to be an inconvenience to my life. And so I was really annoyed and worried about uh, paying the deductible for my car and all that good stuff. So we get to the show and we're wrestling these two guys called the urban legends, me and Zach Allen. And they're calling stuff that doesn't make any damn sense. And I remember before we went to the ring, I just said to Zach, man, I got a bad feeling about this match. And he said, do you want to change something before we go out there? I'm like, "Eh, there's no point at at this time. You know, it's just like these guys are going to do whatever they want and we'll just make Mm -hmm. the best of it. So we go out there and, uh, these guys are just stiffing me and they they're they suck dude and it's really bad and they're forgetting stuff and i really pride myself on having a good memory when it comes to memorizing stuff and then like being able to do stuff on the fly if necessary and so when i'm working with dudes that are forgetting stuff it can be frustrating especially because you know i always say you know i you know i technically have brain damage so why can i me- remember a match better than you there's there's some sort of problem, you know what I'm saying? So That's I always a f- try. Very fair point. Yeah, so it's like I don't know. So if if you, because I think what he- helped me with connecting a match together is you create logic out of the illogical. Wrestling yeah. is very illogical if you overthink it, but if you call things with reason, it's easy to remember it. I don't know, and, and maybe that doesn't work for everybody. For a reason, these guys are screwing up everything, and there comes a point in the match where even the ref botches a false finish. I blind tagged Zach. And I did a elbow off the top rope. So it's supposed to be a false finish. Boom for me, one, two, kick out. I blind tag Zach. I do the elbow boom. This match has already been shit. So I'm like, well, at least we've got this false finish in. I pin the guy and the ref goes, you're not legal. And I, I just, I stood up and I'm thinking about my failing relationship. And I'm thinking about the car accident earlier in the day. And I just stand up and I yell in this guy's face what the fuck and the whole crowd is like (laughs) the whole crowd is like whoa they they come up for it i was like you fucking suck and then like i and then like i look at zach and i see zach like with shock on his face i'm like these guys fucking suck and he's like and he's like looking at me like what are you doing right now and like i'm like i don't even care anymore and so like the next spot whatever it was i yelled it to the guy because like i knew he was going to forget it and so I yelled the spot and the crowd started laughing and the guy proceeded to do the spot because I yelled it to him and he gets kicked in the face with, from Zach. And I think I ended with hitting him with a flatliner. But the next thing I was supposed to do was do a suicide dive on his partner on the floor. So it's supposed to be bip on the kick, boom on the flatliner. Here comes the dive, hot, hot, hot. Maybe I come off the top rope. I hit something, right? I hit the, um... Before I go to do a suicide dive, I see the guy on the floor, the other partner. He's so far away. I'm not going to hit him with the suicide dive. So I say, hey, asshole, get closer. I'm coming for a suicide dive. And so I do the dive. He gets closer. Boom, I hit him. The crowd's going wild. Not because this match is good, but because I'm actually having a nervous breakdown in the match.
0: We can laugh back now. It's like, okay. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, I was very, I always describe it as Sean Michaels, 1996. This was my ultimate Sean Michaels, 1996. <laughs> yeah. Move asshole or whatever he said to Vader. And so then I proceed to climb up the top rope and the guy has to crotch me when he crotches me. I'm not even ready to be crotched. Mm. Like, usually, you know, like, your, your 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 dick and balls will be, like, a little bit above the turnbuckle, and so then you kind of brace yourself, right? So that way you don't get the impact of it. But, like, at this point, um, my, my, my penis and balls are sort of, like, right above the buckle, uh, and uh, they're not, they're all basically touching the buckle. So when the guy hits my leg to do the spot, I'm not in position, and I just kind of, like, sat down a centimeter. You know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't look good, and it mm. didn't hurt. But I remember going, like, that looked like shit, but I sold it anyways, which is weird, because I proceeded to no-sell everything for the rest of the match. Like, when they hit the finish, I just rolled out of the ring and got up, and Zach was like, sell 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 and i was like fuck these guys i'm not selling this match sucks and like like it was just the most unprofessional i will ever be because these dudes just were terrible and they were hurting me and they they clearly didn't care about the match so why should i care about the match right yeah and um so i do the crotch spot i we get beat and uh, we go to the back and the guys walk up to me and They goes how's the match and i goes it fucking sucked like and they're and they're like what i'm like it was horrible and i just like stormed off from them and then uh I got in the locker room and the ref came up to me. He's like, I'm so sorry for messing up that finish. And I remember looking down and I go, look, man, whatever you're going to say is not going to fix it. Just get away from me right now, please. And as I look down, I see what appears to be a spot of blood on my tights. And I remember specifically looking at Gowan and going, oh, great. I'm probably bleeding out of my dick too. That's just what I need right now, right? And it was a joke. And I go to the bathroom, which this was in like a shitty rec center. And so the, the wrestler's bathroom was shared with the fans. It was like, so it was a public restroom for everybody. So I go into the restroom with fans and I go in the corner of the restroom and I turn my back from them and I open up my trunks and blood is pouring out of my, my uh. dick hole like pouring like if you were to take a, a a bottle and you just flip it upside down that's at the rate at which blood is just pouring out of my this throat. is making
0: me wince right now and making yep. me like down yep
1: yeah yeah so um and so then i go back to zach Allen. i go come to the bathroom come to the bathroom come to the bathroom he's like why I'm like I'm bleeding out of my dick hole right now, and he goes, "You got to show me." And I was like, and I'm thinking to myself as we're walking, like I don't want to show him my dick. Like this is like you know this is like my friend and the guy that I <laughs> looked up to to become a wrestler. Like this is not the time to show him my penis, but I have to. I got to show someone because this is this is a dire situation. And so we go in the bathroom and I uh, I pull out my penis away from the fans and and so Zach could see it. And as I do it, blood is just pouring out on the ground now. And Zach goes, Oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, dude. And I put it back in my pants. And then we go back in the locker room. I take off my trunks and like, I don't know, it's like there's like a a flash and then like all of a sudden I'm naked on this floor uh in this like basically a locker room the size of a jail cell. And I'm lying naked on the floor with a someone's shirt on my penis bleeding. And uh, I think like MVPs in the locker room and Teddy Hart and a couple other local guys and Zach and then M-Dog comes in the locker room and Zach tells M-Dog what's happening. And M-Dog goes thinking like a cheap wrestler, which I appreciate. He goes, well, we'll gather up great stuff and we'll drive to the emergency room. I said, no, 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 no. We're going to call an ambulance because this is, this is my penis and I want to make sure it's okay. So we're going to call 911 on this one. <laughs> and, uh, so the ambulance shows up, and I remember the paramedics going, uh, like, they check my pulse, and they go, your pulse is low. And I go, oh, my God, am I going to die from my penis bleeding? Like, if, if, this, if this is what happens, please don't let them put this on my obituary, okay? And then the guy says, I'll see what I can do. And then um, Teddy Hart, of all people, grabs me because I can't stand up because, like, now the pain is setting in. And the shock, probably more shock than pain, really, because I don't remember it hurting. Um, Teddy picks me up by the back of my, by under my arms, and he puts me on the stretcher with the other paramedic. Hmm. And as I'm being carted out, the two guys that did this uh, from the match, not concerned about me at all. I hear one of them say to MVP, hey, man, can I get a picture with you? And I wanted to roll off the stretcher and, like, punch him in the face so bad. Could have paid him. Uh, yeah. And, 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 um, so I get to the hospital and sort of wrap a bow on this bad boy. Um, I'm there all night and, uh, they can't figure out what's wrong with my penis. They think that I have a tear in my urethra because they can't get a catheter in it because they're trying to put a catheter in and out of my dick hole and it hurts very bad and it won't go. And, um, oh. then They take me into an x-ray room because they say they have to x-ray my penis. And the process of x-raying a penis is uh, first you have to lie sideways on a table, okay, and, like, one of your legs has to be up. And so I basically felt like Kate Winslet in the Titanic. And so I say to the nurse, (laughs) as blood is, like, still, like, dripping out of my dick, we're waiting for this other guy to show up, a male nurse, I say to her – do you want to paint me like one of your French girls? And she just looked at me stone-faced. I said, yeah, I'm just bleeding on my penis. Don't laugh at my joke. It's fine. And um, so then the, the, the male nurse comes in. And so the process is male nurse stretches my penis. Female nurse sprays dye into my penis. My penis then has to be held in a stretched position while they try to take a picture of it. Uh, with this x-ray machine. Now, I'm told this process takes five minutes, okay? They go back. They have to send this to your urologist because the urologist is not in because it's late at night. I hear the lady go, we didn't get it. We have to do it again. And so I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. So again, they stretch my penis. They shoot dye into it. They try to take a photo of it. They go back. We didn't get it. We got to do it again. It took them two hours to get an x-ray of my penis and it was very very painful and then (laughs) when uh when the urologist came in he stuck a camera in my penis and I want to tell you George I'm not looking at anything that is going into my penis because I don't know I I don't want to know the size of it or the diameter because I know how big my dick hole is roughly and I don't want to know what anything looks like that, that's going into it because I think I might have passed out if <laughs> I would have done that. So um, uh, eventually this guy tells me, well, we think we're going to let you go, but we might have to put a, uh, a, a catheter in you. And I go, "Ha, ah, okay, yeah, so just let me know. And I'm thinking they're not going to put a catheter on me. I'm going to be good to go. And then they come back and I'm like, you're good to go. I'm like, great. And I start to stand up and like, we have to put a catheter in you before you leave. And you have to leave it in for a week. And we have a bigger catheter that you have to put on when you go to sleep. And like, and I'm just like, what? And I, I know I'm going to have a problem doing this with two hands. But they put the catheter in me, and it's very painful. And I usually wear very tight pants, and um, so I had to wear uh, hospital scrubs uh, on the ride home from New Jersey to Cleveland, and I could barely walk. But we had to stop every two hours because I had to em- empty my piss bag. And so every time we walk into a gas station, I'm walking like one inch with every step. And I'm like walking like I'm just, just crippled. You know what I mean? And it's like 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 I'm bow legged. Like maybe maybe perhaps like someone had put something in my butthole. And uh, I'm just like, you know, waddling into every gas station <laughs> looking like, like, like I'm a real simpleton. And uh, it was very embarrassing. But here's the worst part. It gets worse. How? Well, <laughs> mentally, because uh, my roommate's Ricky Shane Page, and he offered to help me change my uh, pee bag and help me shower and stuff, because these were all problems that I was going to have for the next week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I didn't want to see my have my roommate see my penis and have to deal with that. So <clears throat> I stayed with my ex-girlfriend for that week. and. It was very emotional and hard, but I felt like, not my penis, but uh, the situation and uh, my penis, if it would have got hard, it would have been a problem. And uh, it, uh, you know, I remember like slowly climbing up her steps because she agrees to do this for the next week. I remember seeing her and again, we're, we might be working things out and this might be a thing going forward still. And I remember seeing her and as soon as I saw her, I just started crying and, she held me in her arms, and she goes, well, now what are you going to do since you can't wrestle anymore? And I stopped crying instantly, and I pulled away, and I looked at her, and I go, well, I mean, if this comes out in a week, so I think I should be good in two weeks, the doctor said. And I remember her looking at me like I'm a psychopath, and I, I think I knew in that moment this is officially the end, you know, and so <laughs> – but that week, to her credit, she helped me wipe everything off and change the bags and uh I got through it but it was very painful not only physically but mentally to be there for a week and uh knowing that we weren't together and that I was sort of I felt like a burden and all thanks to those idiots in New Jersey that's the story of how I broke my penis and I know I went on for a very long time but
0: probably my favorite story in the podcast I'm genuinely like (laughs) sorry it's not COVID that's just thinking about your penis
1: <laughs> well if we could if we, if we could end this podcast with people thinking about my penis i think that's a great thing
0: to wrap this podcast up um and will i will always that thought because i don't want that before i go to sleep but to wrap this up it's been a very very fun story and very fun episode so one thing i do really appreciate you uh, about you is not just your ability, not just your story um but it's your primary skills and i know you're a motivational speaker uh but do you actually realize just sort of um how good you are at cutting and wrestling and primos i feel like it's sort of gone under the radar because one thing is um that makes you so lovable is you've also been you know basically you're great at being a dick uh when you're a heel yeah. so i just wanted to sort of elaborate it more and uh do you realize that my first question is do you realize how good you are at speaking
1: i feel like i'm okay but i i feel like i have room for improvement at all times because i'm my own biggest critic i mean i think i'm better than most, Mm. especially when I'm a bad guy. But also I think being a bad guy and cutting promos helped me cut promos as a good guy better because I often talk about it in seminars. I think wrestling characters, the way that you figure out who you are is by working with other wrestling characters and working with other wrestlers and storylines. And it's like, it's no different than the relationships you make in your life. Every Mm. relationship that you have, whether it's good or bad, it builds a layer as to who you are once you leave that relationship right and I think that's how it is as a wrestler every character you interact with every wrestler you wrestle with whether you realize it or not there's something that you take away from that relationship in that moment whether it's in a tag team whether it's against someone whether it's just a storyline I think that your character can grow through that. And I think in becoming a bad guy and embracing a lot of this anger and resentment towards people that bullied me and everything and sort of taking everything that was inspirational as the character and flipping it uh, towards the good guys and becoming this hated villain. When I came back to being a good guy, I knew that I couldn't just go back to being straight laced white meat, baby face Gregory iron, because Crowd's not going to accept that, and the easiest example that I can give people is think about WrestleMania 13, mm-hmm. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bret Hart. They do the infamous double turn, okay, March 23rd, 1997, to be specific. And in that moment, Stone Cold bleeds out from the pain. Uh, what an iconic moment! Yeah, which roles? Bret Hart is now the hated villain, Austin is now the beloved babyface. Can you imagine? The next night on Raw, knowing the Stone Cold character, if instead of giving middle fingers, he's putting up, like, the index finger, like, number one. And, like, he's, like, pandering to the crowd. He, like, he changed what people fell in love with. Yeah. And I think, I think as a bad guy, I think you can get people emotionally invested to hate you. But I think if you're good at your job at some point, doesn't matter how good you are as being a bad guy, mm-hmm. a large section of the crowd will probably grow to love you because they – accept the fact that you're really good at what you do and they appreciate it right they like i think a lot of fans are fun in this day and age where they will boo you because they're supposed to boo you because they want to be emotionally invested if you're doing something well but they secretly love you and i think yeah. that's what happened with my heel character like uh, the crowd started to appreciate who i was as a bad guy and how good i was with getting heat that i started mm-hmm. to get cheers again so i went back to being a baby face i knew that i that I had to maintain that edge. And so I think the level of sarcasm that I used as a bad guy, I now understood how to do it as a good guy. And, and, you know, so like throw it back at the bad guys. And also I love Ninja Turtles and my favorite Ninja Turtles, Raphael. And I feel like he always has like a, he's a little angsty and he's a little angry, but he's always like, he's got the right mindset. You know, he has good intentions. And I'd like to compare Raphael to, Gregory Iron when he's a babyface, you know, it's like Gregory Iron is a good guy and he has good intentions, but he's a little bit of a hothead Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: maybe he'll let his anger get the best of him sometimes, but he's not going to let people step all over him. And I didn't know how to do that from day one of professional wrestling. But as I alluded to, everybody you interact with, every person that you come across in your life as a wrestling character, it leaves an impression in you and it builds a layer to who you are. And I think getting better at my promos and then utilizing my promos as a bad guy made me a better all around wrestler uh, is being a good guy. And also like I do a lot of reading and I just try to incorporate things in my promos that resonate with me because yeah. if if I don't believe them, then no one else is going to believe them. And there's been times when I've been told to say stuff and I've been asked if I can sort of take liberties with it and kind of try to tell the same story, but in my way. And they said, no, and it's just those promos don't end up being my best promos because I don't I don't believe in them and my fans don't believe in them. So Mm. it's really just finding a portion of yourself that you can exaggerate and then finding other characteristics in life too, in your character that you can identify with and make your own. Because I often say, I don't know if I like the whole volume turned up saying like, I get what they mean by that. They're right to an extent when they say it, but also we do things as wrestling characters that, we would never do in real life yeah. so it's a matter of like there's many things that i've done as gregory iron that i would never do as a human being but it's almost like um uh, like when Heath Ledger played the Joker, you know am sometimes you have to like see other things that resonate with you and then see if you can become that character. I think that's no different than in wrestling. Like you pull things out of characters that resonate with you and then you try to bring those characters to life. That doesn't mean that's the person that I am. And I think we really need to stop using that saying so liber- liberally of like you know uh we are just us turned up. Yeah, yeah. Again, there there are a lot of things that I haven't done uh in real life that I do as a character. And also I think there's a lot of things that we could do as characters that might be a tad controversial, but like we do them in movies. So like, why can't we do them in wrestling? And I, again, uh, obviously I'm getting off on a tangent here, but like, um, racism is wrong. And as humans, we should probably know it's wrong, but we obviously know that there's people out there that don't know it's wrong. So, you know, and, and we live in a world where Twitter scrutinizes anything we do I don't see a problem if we can sort of stop blurring the line so much and sort of be more transparent about we are wrestling characters, but Mm. we do want to get you emotionally invested. I don't understand why we can't do a storyline where maybe there's a character that is racist because like if you have a racist character and you have someone rise up against that character and destroy them, like you can't tell me that there's a young kid out there that hasn't faced racism that hasn't wanted to rise up against someone that belittled them or looked down upon them like i'm and that's not like encouraging violence it's just it's storytelling do you know what i'm saying like like, that that would like that would like resonate with like a young man that had to face racism and like get behind that character and like you know they sort of they try not to do it um Mm. like too touchy touchy but like i feel like they kind of did that with the kofi storyline you know what i'm saying like they sort of like they, they sort of alluded to that a little, yeah,
0: bit. a little bit, but didn't really fully go into it. Right. And
1: like, maybe that was like, maybe that was just enough, but like, you can't go further than that because people get in an uproar about it. But like, I don't think there should be any reason why we can't tell the same stories that mm. we would tell in a movie. But But the problem is, when I walk down the street, I'm not Greg Smith. I'm Gregory Iron. And that's a problem because we always say, well, I'm just me turned up. And then when someone says something too controversial and then Twitter gets upset about it, then guys have to break character and go, sorry, that was my character saying that. But if, but but there, there are times when dudes, people might actually believe that way. And then they use mm-hmm. their character as a crutch to go, well, that was just my character. So it's a really fun And line. in
0: between really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I really went off on a tangent there about promos. This is what I do though, George.
0: I'm no, sorry. but I enjoy it though, mate. I enjoy it. I think I've enjoyed it so much. Well, I do. I'm I'm like, I've got get back for part two now. Cause I'm really I've enjoyed it, mate. Because I think that's one thing I did generally say. It's like I, you're really good at speaking, and that's why you are motiva- a motivational speaker. And that's why not only do you wrestle, but you cut these like these engaging uh, promos. Um and that's why i wanted you on the show. Um because I myself, I you know, I'm basically deaf in one ear and you know basically people are like should you really do a podcast yeah what well, we can't hear them properly it's like well sound travels for starters um yeah. <laughs> and also right. yeah you know, i think sort of lip read as well but i think sometimes i talk but it's just you are a genuine inspiration um so i'm gonna put an end to this but i will have you back one day uh, i'd like to basically ask was the iron on wrestling podcast was that started up because you were inspired by stone Cold steve austin uh podcast because you got to appear in there was it two or three times uh, three times Three times man <laughs> what is, I just want to know because like, you've appeared quite a few times. Uh, do you have any funny Austin stories and what's he like?
1: Uh, he's an awesome guy. I have a ton of funny Austin stories. One day, I will unleash all the voicemails on my phone from Stone Cold because since he is an older man, he's from from the uh, previous generation. Yeah, if you do not pick up your phone, Stone Cold Steve Austin will leave you a voicemail, and so this will shock you, George. Every time he calls me the first time, I don't pick up my phone because he cuts a promo on me. <laughs> Just to
0: hear the promo. And,
1: yeah, he, he cuts a promo on me every time. And so, if you would have told 15 year old Greg when he was sitting at Invasion in 2001 on pay per view, and I was really mad that Stone Cold turned his back on the WWF again, that uh, one day not only would I be sitting in his house, but he would extend a hand of friendship and call me on the phone to make fun of me, and then I call him to make fun of him, you would have blew my mind, but that's where I'm at with Stone Cold right now, and uh,
0: Jealous, man, I'm jealous
1: it's, 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 uh, It's really weird like, I can, there have been times when I've been on shows with like Lower mid card wrestlers that I'm like, I'm nervous to talk to them. Like, even though I've met him before, like I don't know what I could say. Mm. I will say anything to Stone Cold.
0: Like, I don't even care. It's you can so tell we like actually, when, I've, when I've listened to the episodes some podcasts. Like, you can tell, like, yeah, you've got a soft spot for you.
1: I don't even know why. I don't know what it was, but I remember it was just, uh, good. <laughs> yeah, like, like, see, now that was a day, like, unlike the punk thing where it might have been, it was definitely a dream come true, yeah. but. I remember Candice LeRae texting me like maybe five minutes before I pulled up to his house and she goes, Hey, just remember to really take in and appreciate everything that happens today. So I was like, okay, like I really needed to hear that. And so like pretty much everything is very vivid about that experience because I was like, I'm just going to take this all in. And I think the best moment, not only, not only did he give me advice that I can't believe I was like talking to Steve Austin about, but like, we had this moment where it's like an awkward moment where we're sitting across from each other. So where we were sitting is now where I think right across from that or no, maybe, maybe where we're sitting is where they build the, the broken skull um, session um, mm. set now. Like that's where it's at. And uh, we're sitting across from each other and we have our arms above our head. And it's like, we've been talking nonstop and this is like, We've been talking for hours, but this is the first like awkward moment where neither of us are saying anything and we're just laughing. And I remember mm. I'm like, Oh no, this is awkward. Say something, Greg. Say something. I go, <laughs> I go, pro wrestling. And he goes, You're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, This is the best day of my life. <laughs> Love
0: him, man. Like I think the other time i of heard like an awkward uh, episode. And I don't know if it was quite if it's because he it was a gimmick or not, but MJF one where he was just like it was just I mean, you probably know. Would fully know, but Joe, you know I, I love the magic. Don't tell me.
1: Yeah, I got you. Yeah, no. Uh, Ma- Max is lucky that he got to sit in the presence of Stone
0: Cold Steve Austin. Okay, what a piece of garbage he is. Uh, I just want to know. I, see, a part of me is just like, is he? I think he's a real nice guy in person, but I don't want to know. I don't, I, if he is a genuine dick, then okay, awesome. But if he isn't, don't tell me. He's a dick. Oh, he is actually a dick. Yeah, real oh, big right. dick. <laughs> <laughs> A big,
1: big, broken, bloody dick. Those are the worst.
0: Uh, um, I'm, I'm so glad that story got told in the show, by the way. Um, now people are going to comment, oh, V loves Greg's penis? Um <laughs> 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 It's not the case, people. It's not the case. Yeah. I'm part honest the Amish yeah. now. So. But um, where can fans find you on social media?
1: Uh, well, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Gregory Iron. You can find me on Instagram at Gregory underscore Iron because some moron that never uses Gregory Iron on Instagram took that name already. And uh, I'm on Facebook if you friend me there. And if you want to reach out to me for pro wrestling bookings, pro wrestling seminars, speaking engagements, you can contact me via DM on my social media or on my direct email at Gregory underscore Iron at Yahoo.com. And of course, You go to my podcast every Wednesday on iTunes, Iron On Wrestling with Gregory Iron, and uh, we're 102 episodes in. Can't believe it's been going that long. We've had a lot of great guests, former, present WWE stars, uh, some of the best guys on the indies, some Mm. of my old friends from the indies, and we've just been able to tell great stories on there, and we also are creating not just content, but a wrestling community over on Patreon.com slash Iron On Wrestling, where starting at 3 bucks you get a bunch of bonus episodes bonus videos uh we do zoom calls once a month at some of the higher tiers where we just all chat about wrestling for an hour or two Mm -hmm. every month which is really cool fan interaction and it's really kept me sane during quarantine uh you can pick bonus podcast subjects and i'll send you stuff in the mail every couple months depending on what tier you sign up for you can even do the podcast in studio with me so check it out (sighs) patreon.com slash that sounds great that's
0: a really good one
1: It's cool. It's cool stuff. We got like three people that come in studio once in a month. And uh, it's just, I don't know, me and my co-host, Aaron, we love to be fan interactive. Mm. And it's just, I don't know, creating this community has been one of the best things I've ever done in my career. So I'm very proud of it. So check it out. It doesn't cost anything to just look at it. Patreon.com slash iron wrestling.
0: I'm going to put all those details in the description, but I want to thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, Hopefully I can create the Austin relationship that you have and i can have you back on there uh, one day but for now i want you to stay safe uh, for you watching this at the moment there will be more episodes of what you call it coming out soon but for now i want you all to stay safe and here is a word for my sponsors and i hope you appreciate it <laughs> you know that means i have a special announcement hey i'm the handicapped hero
1: gregory iron and i'm gonna be on the oh boy what's the name of it what do you call it podcast
0: yeah